Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. And we are very glad you're with us on this Monday after Thanksgiving edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool. we got a lot to talk about today, and we've also got two sponsors today. Many thanks to NetSuite by Oracle, as well as Plexiderm. We'll be talking about both of them as the uh, episode goes on. You'll want to head to netsuite.com slash martini for NetSuite. And then also triplexiderm.com is the website there. Jim, our good martini actually deals with uh, football today in a roundabout way. It was, uh, it was a, a decent weekend for me, not a great weekend. Uh, the Bears won on Thanksgiving. Uh, Michigan decidedly did not. I, I, I'm sorry that uh, the winless Bengals ended up getting the upper hand on your Jets yesterday. But uh, nonetheless, I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving. Uh, it was a great weekend right up till then. <laughs> so. Everything was set. But uh, hey, what's a good martini? sadly and weirdly, our good martini has to do with Ohio State thrashing Michigan, which uh, pains me greatly to say. But this is actually uh, a good martini. Uh, Ohio State won again, sadly, 56 to 27. That's a lot of points. And uh, a lot of those points came from running back J.K. Dobbins, courtesy of the offensive line. 31 carries, 211 yards, four touchdowns. And his final touchdown was the eighth touchdown of the day for the Buckeyes about midway, a little past midway through the fourth quarter. And so over on Fox Sports, which was calling the game, analyst Joel Klatt was talking about the domination of Ohio State's offensive line, which sadly was true. Then Gus Johnson, the play-by-play guy, uh, decided to talk about how there was an interesting human interest uh, twist to the fantastic performance that everyone saw from Dobbins that day. Absolute dominant performance from Dobbins and this offensive line. J.K. Dobbins' mom, Maya, became pregnant when she was 18 years old. She went to the doctor because she was thinking about aborting the baby, but changed her mind. That baby turned out to be that young man, J.K. Dobbins, who she calls her miracle baby. Oh, Jim, the pro-choicers didn't like that online. All sorts of, why are we talking about J.K. Dobbins almost being an abortion on national television? Why do these commentators and now the rest of the nation know about this? This was trending on, on Twitter. You had uh, abortion providers being horrified that, uh, that that would be injected into a football game. And, uh, Jim, these are the same people who want others to shout their abortion. So, uh, nonetheless, it's a great story about the courage that Dobbins' mom showed. And it uh, once again proves that those are human lives, and when given a chance, they can do great things. I was about to say, Greg, so I guess their their rallying cry is stick to sports? <laughs> I think so. Okay. I mean, fine. I, I remember people saying that when, you know, LeBron James in China and uh, hands up, don't shoot. Uh, the kneeling of the NFL players, you know. People said, no, no, no. People should be allowed to speak, to speak their minds. And you make the other good point about shout your abortion. Okay, how about all the people who didn't get an abortion? <laughs> how about all those people who ended up having a child and who have had, you know, seen that child grow up to do something extraordinary? And by the way, Greg, your child doesn't have to grow up, play for Ohio State, and beat Michigan to be extraordinary. Greg, I think we could argue it's maybe not that extraordinary anymore. Sadly, yes. Um, but, you know, you know, you know, just pardon, pardon that shot there. The, the Cincinnati game has me in a bad mood. <laughs> um, but you know, this overall, like, look. Abortion is undoubtedly this this enormously emotionally intense and, and intensely divisive issue. You know, 
every one of those decisions has a consequence. And one of those consequences can be the people in our world who are not born uh, and who may have gone on to do wonderful and incredible things. If you subscribe to the idea that, you know, every human life has value, then each one that does not get a chance to be born is someone who could go on to do amazing things in the lives of others. Look, you know, I can understand, you know, oh, why do you have to bring politics into it? Eh, okay. But I know it's, you know, again, if there had been a Planned Parenthood ad during the game, these people wouldn't have minded it in the slightest. Um, I'm reminded of the, you know, when Twitter said, well, we're not going to allow any politics ads. As soon as somebody said, uh, you know, want to run a climate change uh, tweet, they said, wait a second, how can you, it's not political, it's about climate change. And Twitter very quickly said, oh, okay then. All right, no, I'm sorry. We, we, didn't, we, only, we didn't mean issue ads. We just mean political ads. Um, now, somebody else had said, you know, so this means you'll be taking off all of these, you know, uh, crisis pregnancy centers and stuff like that because all of their ads are political. Yes, yes, those are all political. The word political always means exactly uh, what, what someone wants it to mean, so no more and no less, to paraphrase uh, Alice in Wonderland. No, but it was uh, this, you know, a, a very sweet moment, a very wonderful moment. Uh, you always love to see a guy, you know, uh, thanking his mom when he's, you know, on the, on the big national stage. Look, uh, you know, a, a sweet moment, and I think the reaction to it was was pretty revealing. People are uncomfortable seeing the consequences of a decision like that. No, that's absolutely right, and they hate making the connection on the pro-choice side, at least uh, those on the the activist pro-choice side, that the child in the womb is the same person that's out there running the football, scoring touchdowns, doing whatever uh, for those who chose life. And uh, they love to try and make the distinction that one is not the same as the other, uh, and they're supposedly the party of science. It just uh, doesn't make sense. But that's, that's the argument they're left with. That's not the logical argument, but that's the one they're left with. All right. Uh, uh, let's talk a little bit about more numbers. We talked about J.K. Dobbins' numbers. I'd really rather forget them. But uh, uh, Justin Fields, the quarterback for uh, Ohio State, threw for four touchdowns. That's how you get to eight. But if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem that growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers is their hodgepodge of business systems. They have one system for accounting, another for sales, another for inventory, and so on and so on. It's just a big, inefficient mess that takes up too much time and too many resources, and that can only hurt the bottom line. Introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, giving you the visibility and control that you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and human resources instantly right from your desktop or phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. A lot of the top firms are using this. Thousands of the best-known brands and fastest-growing companies use NetSuite to manage their business, and now it's available to you and your business. You'll learn how to optimize processes, drive operational excellence, uh, sell across more channels, and much, much more. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits. You can get that and sign up at netsuite.com slash martini. That's netsuite.com slash martini to download your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits. netsuite.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's move on to our bad martini. And it uh, almost has a good twist to it because uh, one of the good things that liberals do sometimes is let down the, the, the blinds or the curtain and you can actually hear them say what they actually believe. And it should make people cringe. And hopefully it does. Uh, today's participant is Michael Bloomberg, former three-term mayor of New York City, recent entrant into the Democratic presidential campaign. Already shelling out a lot of money. If you uh, watch anything on YouTube, you're pretty much bound to get a Mike Bloomberg ad. And he's 
uh, plastering his uh, ads all over uh, the news channels as well. Um, but uh, Mike Bloomberg uh, is a guy who loves to be the nanny. That's why we call him Nanny Bloomberg. Uh, going against uh, big drinks in New York City, uh, smoking, dancing, lots of other things we've talked about over the years. Uh, this was recently unearthed. He was at the International Monetary Fund uh, event back in 2018. And Christine Lagarde, if you follow the IMF, uh, she was the one interviewing Bloomberg, and they talked about regressive taxes, and Bloomberg was all excited to talk about why regressive taxes against the poor are actually a good thing. Yes, they are. That's the good thing about them, because the problem is in people that don't have a lot of money. And so higher taxes should have a bigger impact on their behavior and how they deal with themselves. So I listen to people saying, oh, we don't want to tax the poor. Well, we want the poor to live longer so that they can get an education and enjoy life. And that's what, why you do want to do exactly what a lot of people say you don't want to do. The question is, do you want to pander to those people or do you want to get them to live longer? Giving them the freedom to do what they want with their own money is now pandering, Jim. So, I mean, yeah, taxes are, are a uh, disincentive and, uh, and freedom is an incentive. Uh, and sure, we want people to live longer, but Michael Bloomberg is basically deciding that you can't make that decision for yourself. Yeah, I suppose we should thank Mike Bloomberg for his honesty, because I think he, you know, that old saying, he says the quiet part out loud. Um, <laughs> Mike, and, and there's no doubt, he, he's very direct, clear and forthright about this. Mike Bloomberg looks at the world and he sees a lot of people making choices that he doesn't support and that he thinks are bad for people. And in some of these cases, like smoking or uh, drinking sugary drinks or something like that, he may even have the science on them. But most like you know, I'm not a smoker. Uh, I prefer not to be around cigarette smoke or, or anything like that. As long as you don't do it by me, though, it's, it's your body. It's your life. I think everybody knows the risks of lung cancer, et cetera. They have these giant warning labels right on the package. You know, if you choose to do that, okay, fine. Just, just live with the consequences. I know sugar, big sugary drinks aren't good for you. I'm a little more tempted by those, but, you know, it's, it's a free country. Um, you can go out and do that. Just, you know, be ready for, you know, the, the potential health consequences of that. Mike Bloomberg looks around and sees people doing this, and he just wants to stop them by any means necessary. And I'm kind of surprised we don't see him running down the street knocking sugary drinks out of people's hands. By the way, he's really upset about sodas. Those giant mocha frappuccinos, they don't seem to bother him. <laughs> and here's my theory. Because he knows this. He says, look, these, these are poor people. Right? These are the people who need our help the most. Right? These are the people who need our superior judgment. The yuppies who are having the, the venti mocha frappuccino, that, they're smart people. They're upper middle class. They're wearing suits and ties. They're the respectable ones. We can trust them to make their own decisions, even though the calories, by the way, inside those mocha frappuccinos is probably comparable to a, a, a you know, liter bottle of Coke. And so Mike Bloomberg just doesn't see there, there's no operating limitation. Once Mike Bloomberg decides something is good for you and something is bad for you, he wants to use the state to make you make the right choice. I would not be surprised in the slightest, Greg, if Mike Bloomberg's favorite fun loving, optimistic, positive message comedy is a clockwork orange. By the way, for everyone's like, oh, that's not a good movie. That's a very violent graphic movie there, folks. So so watch at your own discretion. But the, the gist of it who happened is that you know, taking place in the future. Um, we're a, a you know guy who is a, a really irredeemable street thro violent street thug gets kind of put into this uh, re-education system for lack of a better term. And he's kind of psychologically and physiologically changed to the point where he cannot 
commit acts of violence anymore. And the whole question, I think, I think it was Anthony Burgess who wrote, the whole question about free will, right? And if you are forced to make the right decision, is it still moral? Um, and, you know, philosophers have struggled with this sort of thing. But in the American tradition, we really don't like the U.S. government stepping in to try to save you from yourself. Um, we kind of went through this with, with uh, prohibition. It did not go well. <laughs> A whole lot of problems that came with that. Um, the American people really do relish their freedom. And freedom has to involve, that if not making the wrong choice, then to making a choice that might have long-term bad damages. There are all kinds of stuff in life that isn't really good for you. Uh, red meat and, and sugary snacks and, you know, all the stuff that, for some of us, it makes life worth living. Um, <laughs> caffeine, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, and the, you, you thought people, you know, clung to their guns and religion. You want to talk about from my cold, dead hand, right? That, that's when you're going to get that donut. That's when you're going to get that, you know, those sugary snacks and uh, the large sodas and stuff like that. And Michael Bloomberg doesn't understand any of this. He believes he was put on earth to save us from our own bad judgment. Now, that might work in a monarchy. That might work in a theocracy. It does not work in the United States of America. Uh, so on the one hand, this is a phenomenally dangerous mentality. On the other hand, I kind of like him being out there and just being upright and straight about it uh, as opposed to kind of, you know, uh, hiding it or, or kind of, you know, gently alluding to it compared to most of the Democrats. Isn't the same concept at work in Medicare for all? We don't trust you to make your own choices and shop for your own plans. We're just going to do this giant one size fits all and jack up your taxes because we're going to run everything because you can't be trusted to do it. You, first of all, you see Democrats insisting nobody likes their health insurance <laughs> company. Well, there are some who do. Right? We go. Now, most of us, we go, if, would, do we wish we had some sort of like magic wand that would say, oh, I got to go to the doctor. Presto changeo, magic wand, give me no, no, co-pays, no, no co-pays, no deductibles, no premiums, um, and, and just take care of everything. Yeah, that'd be nice. But that doesn't exist in this world. Is it tough to shop around, particularly if you get your insurance through your employer and if you want to change jobs, might change it. Yeah, that, that's all that stuff's got complications and, and it's going to have trade-offs or stuff like that. But the argument of everyone in the government is, trust us, we're going to put the people who designed healthcare.gov in charge of everything, and you're going to be totally taken care of. And understandably, people are like, yeah, I'm not so sure about that. Um, but, you know, I, I, it's interesting that I wrote a little bit about this in the morning jolt. Um, it's been interesting to see the numbers start to shift on Medicare for all, because first of all, it appears that the vast majority of people who initially gave it a positive response or said they were supporters, Greg, they didn't really pay attention to those last two words. <laughs> for all. They, they thought it was optional. They thought that if they liked their current insurance, so they, you know, they'd be able to keep it. No, under Medicare for all, under Bernie Sanders' plan, and the sign, this is the legislation that was signed on by Elizabeth Warren and the rest. They all make it illegal to have private insurance. If your employer wants to pro- offer you insurance, it is a violation of the law. And Kamala Harris will kick down the door and, and raid everyone with the SWAT team. Um, <laughs> that's, you know, so... With, with Medicare for all, you better be absolutely certain that the government system is going to be better for you. Because if you're not, you are deep, you're in deep doo-doo because you can't undo it and you don't have the option of staying with your private insurance. Uh, this is why I think Pete Buttigieg is starting a little bit of traction because, you know, he is echoing that John Delaney argument from the first debate. Why are we trying to take away insurance for people who are okay with what they've got? Good question. I like my insurance. I'll tell you when I liked it better, though, before Obamacare and before my deductible jacked up four times what it used to be. So uh, thanks, Democrats, for that. I'm sure we can trust you for whatever comes next. (laughs) We've cleared up that. Let's clear up something else. The holiday season is upon us, and it's that time of year again, family, friends. 
and everything so conveniently documented in video and uh, photography. Everybody talks about getting ready for beach season. Well, what about Christmas picture season? Your relatives and friends are going to have that for, for weeks or months. And if they're pack rats, they'll keep it for years. So let's talk about some of those uh, issues that uh, some of us need to deal with. Under eye bags, wrinkles, crow's feet. Yes, those are some telltale signs of aging, and nobody wants those in their holiday cards. Now imagine they're gone. I'm not talking about risky, expensive surgery. That's, uh, we're just talking about having them gone in minutes. It's called Plexiderm. It's a clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow feet, and under eye bags in just minutes. It's exactly what you need to get through the holiday season and beyond. Don't believe it? Just wait until you try it. Now, you won't have to imagine anymore. You'll look 10 years younger. Plexiderm can give you the confidence you need to face that judgmental family member who you'll be seeing around the holidays. Right before the show, Greg and I were talking about this. Everyone's got some Aunt Edna, the master of the backhanded compliment, some sort of, hmm, your skin looks a lot better now. Okay, wait a second, wait a second, what do you mean, do you mean now? You know, or, ah, you know, your wrinkles are a lot less visible. Wait, you know, they all these little things that sound like compliments, but they're not. Well, the best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody will know you're using it unless you tell them. And you know you're definitely not going to tell Aunt Edna. <laughs> Get Plexiderm's holiday promotion. Their promotion is this. Go to TriPlexiderm.com, use the code MARTINI for 50% off plus an additional $10. That's right, 50% off plus an additional 10 bucks. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code MARTINI. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit TriPlexiderm.com today and use the code MARTINI at checkout. TryPlexiderm.com. All right, Jim, it is December. That means it is Christmas time. That means it is Christmas movie time. Now, you and I have well established that Die Hard is the greatest Christmas movie of all time. But uh, the ladies sometimes tend to disagree. And the ladies love the Hallmark Channel. Oh, my gosh, they love the Hallmark Channel. For those of you who have dealt with this, and I'm guessing there are many of you, uh, they last about two hours. They could be wrapped up in about 10 minutes, but they stretch them out for two hours. One of the people's usually named Holly or Nick. Uh, it's usually some small-town person who came back for the holidays from the big city. They've gotten jaded. They maybe have a big city significant other who you know isn't going to last the two hours. Uh, they find the single uh, parent that's magically very attractive and still in town and still available. Uh, there's some sort of misunderstanding along the way, and then it all works out, of course. But you can usually tell what's going to happen about the first five minutes. The ladies love the Hallmark. It's pure, it's wholesome, it's, uh, it's romantic, and put a bingo card together or maybe a, a drinking game, then, uh, then the guys can get through it. But uh, as you could probably expect... Uh, the fact that uh, it's guys and girls getting together in these movies has some people upset. This is from LGBTQ Nation. So Hallmark and Lifetime, how long are we going to have to wait for that LGBT holiday romance movie? After all, the channels will produce at least 32 new movies, each for the holiday extravaganza. 64 films between the two of them. Netflix, Amazon Prime, Apple TV, and other streaming services also add to the holiday movie-producing spectacle with many of their own. We don't exist in them, but we should, since the demographics, ratings, and advertising dollars for LGBT shows are already there. Bill Abbott, president and CEO of Crown Media Family Networks, which runs Hallmark, says Hallmark continues to thrive in an environment characterized by widespread ratings attrition. While the industry and media seem to predominantly reward and highlight more edgy content, our network's ongoing success is testament to the fact that viewers crave the kind of positive celebratory programming that only the Hallmark brand 
can provide, which is the very polite corporate way of saying, yeah, we're not about to change this anytime soon. Uh, we got a good thing going here. Jim, obviously, they're allowed to produce whatever they want. People are free to say whether they like it or not. The fact that we're now getting the uh, the SJW storming Hallmark is uh, not a surprise, but a little bit tedious. And uh, for those of us who have to sit through the Hallmark movies, we know what tedious means. Yeah, uh, a lot to digest and dissect here. By the way, for anyone looking for the definitive uh, Hallmark Christmas movie bingo card, I think it was Mary Catherine Ham did the definitive one a couple of years ago. So Google that one. She, she was in a really good one of all the cliches and all the stock characters and all of that. Greg, I was surprised to see that Lifetime has a role in this because you'd figure like the Lifetime movie version of this would be My Christmas Stalker. Um, <laughs> I mean, Lifetime, every night, makes some sort of excellent low-budget movie telling women of America that everyone is out to kill them. That's right. Um, the babysitter? Nope, she's a psycho. She's trying to steal away your husband. Uh, next door neighbors, the postmen. I'm okay, postal service employees maybe do have a slightly higher uh, uh, rate than usual. Um, you know, anybody, UPS guy, my Amazon delivery guy stalked me, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so here's the thing. I wouldn't be like, I suppose it, it might be kind of interesting to say, all right, let's make a gay, you know, Hallmark Christmas movie. I don't think you'd see an enormous backlash or protests or, or, or anything like that. But look, Hallmark clearly found, they, they know which demographic they're aiming for, right? It's Mrs. Columbus and it's Mrs. Garrett. Like they have them <laughs> and suburban moms all across. By the way, speaking of suburban moms, Greg, I'm going to stand up on behalf of all urban white collar workers. Why are we always the villains in these movies? <laughs> is there not a single guy who works in the office who could actually have the Christmas spirit? Why is it always the true Christmas spirit comes from the small town blue collar guy? I'm going to tell you. That carpenter who's restoring the town gazebo, chances are he's got a drinking problem, right? All these little smart picturesque towns with their, you know, town squares and carolers and traditional Santas and, you know, oh, we've got to save the old mill from the corporate who's going to buy it and all that stuff or the little town bookshop or something like that. And this old guy named Nick, played by Ed Asner, who keeps <laughs> winking, who might just be the real Santa. You know opioids have torn through all these communities, Greg. It's always the lumberjack with the Christmas tree farm. Look, if you want to do a gay version, fine. But there's an obvious reason. Lots and lots of women watch this. They all put themselves into the shoes of the protagonist. And it's it's kind of wish fulfillment. And I'm not just saying that because half the titles of these movies are involving some variation of a Christmas wish or something like that. They want to have that hunky blue collar guy who's almost always uh, a widower. By the way, Greg, how did those wives die? He carries an axe everywhere he goes. Hmm. But anyway, you know, they always have the adorable little tot who seems wise beyond their years and strangely obsessed with getting two adults back together. Look, you know, Hallmark, it's a free country. Let Hallmark make the movies they want. If somebody else wants to make a gay Hallmark-style Christmas movie, go right ahead, see if it finds an audience. But I'm going to make an observation, Greg. I, I understand that, that this, you know, these movies are not made for me. And of course, I'm always going to find them ridiculous. But I, find, I, I finally worked up a treatment. And right here on the Three Martini Lunch podcast, Greg, I want to pitch to you my ideal Hallmark Christmas movie. So it's a Christmas movie. So character, of course, the main character is named Holly, right? Yes. And Holly is a very hardworking single mom. Um, she's separated from her husband. Uh, she's very stressed. The holidays are coming up. Uh, and her company is asking, of course, they always have a big assignment. It's always got to be done right around Christmas Eve. So she's got to start plan the Christmas party for, for everyone at the office at um, the Nakatomi Corporation. 
and there's this other guy named Ellis who she might be interested in, she might not. Ellis seems like kind of a jerk. Ellis will be the classic, uh, you know, white collar, kind of sleazy guy who all that kind of stuff. But John comes into the picture. John the ex, who's, you know, rough around the edges. He's a cop. And then, of course, you know, you know what happens next, Greg? International terrorists come in and John's yes. got to shoot them off. You know, ho, ho, ho. Now I've got a submachine gun. You know, all that kind of good stuff. So we just do Die Hard, but as a Hallmark movie. And from Holly's point of view, wouldn't that be great? Just play it like it's normal for like the first 30 minutes or so. You're like, hey, wait a minute. Hey, you know, and maybe you'd see the Nakatomi logo in the background. Like, wait a second. And then by the end of it, it's yippee ki So we'd have to bleep something out because it's, you know, airing on Hallmark. Probably more shootings than they expected. Well, you know, they have that Hallmark Mysteries and something or other channel. That would be perfect for that. They never Hallmark actually... Hallmark Mysteries and Massacres. Yeah, that'd be it. You know. <laughs> By the way, this is, you know, again, you can tell we're going off script, dear listeners. Um, so, Greg, how old do you think a young, a, a young man should be before they see the movie Die Hard? Well, it's rated R, so technically 17 or 18. Uh, it's mainly for language. I mean, there's a brief flash of nudity in the office, right? shootings, broken glass, 12, 12 is too young, right? <laughs> I think you're asking for a friend on this, right? Yeah, yeah, totally asking for a friend. <laughs> or maybe I'm just counting the years, you know. My older son's pretty mature for his age, you know. Because, you know, the business that I will constantly make diehard, you know, jokes. And, yes, yeah, so revealing more about the Garrity family house than you probably needed to know. <laughs> but anyway. Fun times, uh, Hallmark. You're you're doing well with what you're doing. Uh, you've got you've got America's ladies uh, definitely enthralled. I can personally attest to that. So, Jim, good to be back with you. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Karamis of Radio America. Thank you for being with us today on the Three Martini Lunch. Don't forget to visit uh, either of our great sponsors today, triplexiderm.com and netsuite.com/martini. And tune in again Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. <laughs>